Hello, hello, hello. We are back for another week. This is That One Blank Friend. I am your host, Saudi Rashid. How are you guys doing out there? We are, I guess we're all wrapping up September. Gosh, it's already fall technically. And it has just started to semi-cool down here in Los Angeles. But I'm going to put some gratitude out there at the same time. The gratitude is that I don't live in Texas because it's still hot there. <laughs> and I sometimes I have to really put it in perspective. And when I talk to my parents at home and they're like, oh, is it hot there? And I'm like, yeah, it's um, 85 degrees. And they're like, yeah, that's nothing. So it's cooling down. You know, things to be grateful for. You know, we got to grab it wherever we can right now because... This world is really crazy right now. It's cray cray. So, you know, we have to grab that joy, that happiness, that gratitude wherever we can. And I hope you guys are really doing that out there. And I am so grateful to have our guest on the show today, Angelina Spicer. She is an actress. She is a comedian. We are going to be discussing postpartum depression and her journey. Her journey is different from a lot of other women, but I think that's why we need to hear it, because it's so drastic and just a great reminder of how much attention that we need to put into the mental health industry, uh, especially, especially for moms. So take a listen. I knew when we did the Zoom interview and Angelina asked me if I was going to be using the video for the Zoom. And once I said no, she snatched her wig off. That was the moment I knew this was my girl. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Here's Angelina. What's good? You know. No, I I get it. My husband is a New Yorker as well. I mean, he he grew up in Long Island. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, he lived in Brooklyn for a long time and like his family his you know grandparents and stuff lived in Brooklyn so he's a Brooklynite as well as you you are a Brooklynite I looked on your bio (laughs) um so I have I always like to start the podcast with a um how I know a person right Okay, cool. And I don't know if you, you, I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't know this. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) So the first time I knew of you, I saw you years ago and I can't even remember what year it was. You were in the CBS diversity showcase. That is a throwback for your mama. (laughs) Wow. Yes. I, yeah, we, Wow, that was 2012. Okay. That was before um, Kate McKinnon was famous. Okay. Kate McKinnon was in that showcase with me. That's how we met. I, you know what? I don't even remember her in that. That's crazy. Kate was in it, and so was Melissa Villasenor, who is okay, now, um, Kate's castmate on SNL, both of whom are my very good friends. That is crazy. Yeah, I... I was invited because uh, a girl that I worked with at the time, she was writing for it. Mm. And uh, so I went with like a friend um, and I'm not, I'm going to be completely honest. (laughs) I was like, 
I was really hating on everybody watching that because I had auditioned for it so many times. And I was like, who are they going to have at this thing? And then, you know, when you saw it, you're like, all right, all right, everybody's good. All right, that girl's good. She, everybody's funny. Everybody's funny. Okay. They, they are. They are. They are. They are. <laughs> so that's how I first come had come to know of you and of your comedy and of your immense talent. And recently, I knowing you through another perspective, not just being an actress, but also a mother and hearing your story about postpartum depression, I was like, oh, I, I need to have her on because this sounds like a journey and it sounds like something that a lot of people, a lot of women in particular really need to hear. So uh, let's start there. Let's start with when were you pregnant? Because I'm, I'm actually unfamiliar with how old your daughter is now. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, um, I was pregnant in 2014. Okay. So essentially, after I did the CBS Diversity Showcase, hey, White Bay, um, I'll start over in case you want to cut that <gasps> No, no. <laughs> One of my questions, I was like, because I know you hashtag your husband, white, hashtag White Bay a lot on your Instagram. And I was like, I, I, I'm assuming he, at this point, he's okay with that. He thinks, because I think it's hilarious. He's, he I ain't mean, got a choice, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, recently when I, I just recently taped my first comedy special and he was reticent about me using the hashtag white bay, but I was like, babe, listen, he likes to preserve his anonymity. He right. doesn't like to be involved in my shenanigans. He has his own career, his own ambitions. So I tell him, I'm like, we have to have a way to address the fact that I have a husband, that I'm not out here single and that you are white and that's it. And once we address that I'm married, you're white with a joke. Nobody even cares to know anything else about you. They're no, like, it's, it's a joke. It's it's perfect. And I I that you actually answered one of my questions when I saw the hashtag. I thought, you know, on social media, when you are married, sometimes you don't know how, especially when you are using your social media, it's connected to your career, you know, you're using it for exposure and leverage. And sometimes when you're married, I know a lot of, I have a lot of other friends, they don't want that. They want to keep personal, personal and professional, professional. And so that is totally understandable that that became now the hashtag for yeah. Keep my name out of it, but you people still know you're married and right. who I am. So. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? It's funny because you talk about the CBS Diversity Showcase that I did in 2012. That was before my daughter, Ava, before we decided to get pregnant. And I remember performing in that. And before each show, I would take off my rings because mm -hmm. I was like, this is an industry crowd industry does not necessarily like the married the settled down the i can't just easily impress her or woo her or what have you so yeah for a long time that was an agreement with us i mean i've been married for 10 years but it wasn't until i had a baby that i realized like no people need to know that i'm married and i'm just not out here you know Cohen. So I'm married. Okay. I'm married, but I ain't dead. 
<laughs> exactly. So in 2014, you guys mm -hmm. decided to start the journey of parenthood. And yes, uh, that's what happened. I was trying my hardest to get an audition for SNL because my friends were getting auditions. You know, my friends, Brisha Webb, Tiffany Haddish, uh, Melissa Villasenor, Kate McKinnon, my friends, Tony Baker. Like at that time, everyone was getting SNL auditions. And I, up until that point, had been working for SNL. I had been right. honing my skills as a sketch comedian for SNL. And when I was not able to get an audition, I told my fine hashtag white bay husband, come on, let's get it. Let's get it cracking. Let's have some babies. <laughs> so that's what we did. No SNL, but honey, I got a beautiful baby and ugly ass postpartum depression to go with it. Girl, okay. So you, you guys were pregnant. You were yeah. pregnant. Mm -hmm. How was your pregnancy? That's everyone's number one question. Uh, my pregnancy was fine. You know, and I talk about this a lot in our documentary that we're doing. I talk all about like, like the nuances of my pregnancy. But in short, it was simple. I got pregnant super quickly. Basically, when we decided to get pregnant, we were pregnant. I didn't have any morning sickness. I didn't really like pop and show until I was like six and a half months pregnant. So oh, wow. that meant hustling ass Angelina Spicer booked seven jobs before Ooh. and the world knew that I was even pregnant. <laughs> that is amazing. Cause you know, when I was pregnant every, I, I kept hearing people like, oh my God, you're gonna work so much while you're pregnant. You're gonna work so much. And I probably like booked two jobs. <laughs> I went to a ton of auditions with my pregnant yeah. butt trying to yeah. hide it. But it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. And, you know, it's sad that as women in this industry, and we talk about this in the documentary, you feel like you have to choose between your career and becoming a mother and a wife. Exactly. And, you know, the fact that we even question whether or not we share that we're married, whether or not we sh when and how we share that we're expecting all turns back to the point that like, it's just so unfair for women. But anyhow, I was pregnant. I was fine. At 30 weeks, I was labeled high risk, but they didn't say high risk. They just said that my daughter was growth restricted, which meant that she wasn't growing at the normal rate, whatever the normal rate is, those bullshit charts that they scare you with in the hospital. Um, and that's when the anxiety for me started. But I didn't know it was anxiety. I didn't know that there was a thing, like I didn't, I'd never really experienced anxiety before. So you and, wouldn't have considered yourself like to be overly anxious or oh, have like to get hung up on certain things up to that point? No, not at all. Or like catastrophize things like, oh gosh, well, what if this happens? And then if that happens and then that happens and then this happens. No, absolutely not. Like I definitely had down moments, depressive moments before I got pregnant, but it wasn't to the point where I needed to be medicated. It wasn't anything that I couldn't like just talk to my therapist about at a normal Thursday session or that I could just go to the gym and feel better afterwards. You know what I'm saying? But this anxiety just kind of started at 30 weeks when I'd have to go in for these checkups. 
it was awful. And then my, but I didn't know that what I was experiencing was anxiety. I had my daughter, vaginal delivery, I was induced. And I just remember when I had her, I was feeling like, I actually have to do this now. That shift happened so fast too. Yes. People don't realize until you have a child. It's like the the lead up, the the moment when you are pregnant for a while, it feels so long, that period. And then in a blink of a moment, it's like, the kid is here and now you're a parent. And you're like, what? what exactly. <laughs> yes, the shift is like, and I don't know, you know, for a long time, I felt like I was the only one who felt any of this stuff, Sadia. I didn't know that the shift was immediate. You're the first person to confirm that the shift is like this. Oh yeah, I that, I totally felt that when um, I had my daughter. Like, cause the delivery, also a vaginal delivery, I ended up not having uh, to use any medication. So I felt like I was- Who are you? I was crazy is what I was. Oh. <laughs> well, if I do that again, no. <laughs> but I remember the moment she came out and it's just like, oh, there, there was a split second of like, whoo, relief. Like I felt my energy boost because no one had told me that when you, when you're not using medication, you have a vaginal delivery. It's like all of a sudden you have this rush of energy. Like you're so tired because my labor was a little over a day. So then I was exhausted, exhausted. And then I had this rush and then it was like, whoa, I had this hit of energy after she came out. But then also it was that at the same time, that realization of like, she's here. What, what happens next? Yes. Like we've been building up the past nine, 10 months to this. And that moment always feels so ethereal it feels like so in the distance like you're waiting for this grand thing and then that grand thing happens this child is here and you're like oh 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 this is what I was waiting for okay well what happens next <laughs> yes completely that's exactly how I felt to a t and I've never heard anybody but you Saudia and me talk about this it is that flip. It's like a flip of a switch. Yes. That is what scares me from having another one. Because oh, yeah. I, I know that like, for me at least, the pregnancy can be somewhat smooth. But then once the baby, once that person, the baby is here. Girl. Ain't no turning back. <laughs> no, you, you can't return them. <laughs> you can't be like, oh, my baby is a lot. Like, let me just send her back. You know, you can't, you can't do I that. Cry. I know you can't take them back. I know you can't return them because I tried. <laughs> Somebody need to come get this child. No, no, no. So I had that like, that flip of like, damn, okay, now what? And then it was just like, I wasn't expecting to hurt so badly down there. Nobody told me that. And you shaking your head like, yeah. Though there's a lot of things that women, we just don't know. We are, and I was having a conversation about this exact thing with another friend of mine. It is so fascinating. And also, I feel like as a woman, you really don't understand how patriarchal our culture is until you have a child. Mm. And you realize 
you don't know anything about your body. And most of it is because as you were being raised, no one ever taught you anything about your body. You were only taught about how to protect yourself from set, you know, from getting pregnant um, and diseases, but you weren't really given the power to know how your body functions. That's right. You know, how your reproductive system functions, what happens, what are the things that happen after childbirth? What does that feel like? Like all of that, it's just so, you know, it's left out. It's left out of the conversation a lot of the times. Yes, it's jacked up. I was just, I was taken for a loop. I was like, this is, my vagina has never felt this level of, (laughs) of shred. (laughs) Of like straight up knives down there you know like i have never i didn't know did you feel uh because a friend of mine she's actually uh giving birth any day now and she uh, was asking about my birth story and she was like how did the ring of fire feel girl. and you know what i don't remember because i was like i'm pretty sure i blocked it out by that nobody point. remembers that ring of fire is some theoretical doctor bullshit that they tell you you gonna feel no boo you you are pushing you are tired you out of breath you're hot yeah uncomfortable and now it's covid you got a mask on come on ain't nobody feeling no ring of fire (laughs) i should have told her the whole entire process is a ring of fire thank you the whole damn thing (laughs) all of it all of it and that ring of fire lasts for a whole month okay Mm. it's not a couple of minutes Boo, try sitting down. That's your ring of fire. Oh, can we talk about the first time you actually have to poop? Girl. In our mom group, that was the first time that I knew that my first time, my first postpartum poop was like normal, was in our mom group. (gasps) And I was like, it's not just me. Girl, I was so scared to push. That was the one thing someone did tell me. My friend Rob, my writer friend Rob Kuttner, he and his wife had me and my husband over, me and White Bay over for lunch one day while I was pregnant. And his wife was like, Angelina, my only advice to you, eat the prunes. (laughs) And I was like, Cheryl Zahn, you are, Cheryl, you have given me some wisdom right there. Girl, I was eating the prunes. I I was popping colace. I was drinking water, all the things to keep them bowels moving. (laughs) Nothing. That first postpartum poop, I don't care if you drinking prune juice and eating grass. That first postpartum poop is going to (laughs) hurt. Oh, yeah. It doesn't doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. I mean, it, it helps, but you are so braced. This is really, you know, we're getting into it, but I've never really talked about this to anyone, but you are so braced it's just it's traumatizing it's that that, it's very traumatizing that moment yes the whole the whole process you're like wait a minute if i put wait did you have stitches no i didn't what kind of monster are you (laughs) no epidural no numbing cream no numbing spray no stitches we are no, oh, I did use the numbing spray after. I use I use the hell out of that numbing spray. <laughs> it barely works, but there's something. Yeah, but yeah, it's something. Girl, I was scared. I was scared I was gonna bust a stitch. <sighs> I was like, if I 
it's, things are way too <laughs> like pulled. There was so much tension. So much down there. My friend says she looked. I didn't look because my doctor told me, she said, whatever you do, don't look down there. You can't get that back. Oh, I yeah. I didn't look. look. I didn't look. I didn't want to see what was going on down there. <laughs> didn't have stitches. No, I didn't have stitches, but I still didn't want to look. <laughs> I didn't want to look without stitches. I definitely wasn't going to look if I had stitches, girl. <laughs> yeah, that first poop was something else. It was... I just felt like after I had my daughter, I was like in a cloud, like a fog. So did you feel that with the first, how long did you feel that rather? Like the first three months after that typical uh, fourth trimester? Girl, that's what they say. I felt that until she was two. When my daughter turned two, that's when I felt the cloud lift. slowly begin to lift. Now for some mothers, that's when the cloud comes back because you got the terrible twos. Right. I was fortunate. I didn't, we didn't have that much of a shift during the terrible twos. And that's probably because I was in the fog, in the dumps for so long that anything seemed like a ray of sunshine compared to the book <laughs> I had gone through. Well, I also think that the terrible twos, I, I don't believe there are terrible twos. I believe it's the terrible threes. Okay. I didn't, like, everything is cakewalk since yeah. I got out of postpartum depression. I'm so like, after she was born, when did it, when did you really feel like it kicked in? Cause you had little sprinklings of it. And you know, while you were pregnant. And that, a lot of people ask me that question. I usually have an immediate response, but since we quote, since we talking, talking, <laughs> real, but I felt the first night home was hell. The first week at home was like an inferno. It was worse. It progressively got worse every single night. And that's when I started going back to therapy. That's when I started, my husband and I would take shifts. That's when, it, it felt a lot like COVID, to be mm. honest. It felt a lot like quarantine. Like you're in it and it's just you guys and it's a battlefield and you are just isolated on this island by yourself. Yes. That's what postpartum depression felt like for me. It felt like COVID quarantine. I think that's what the beginning of um, the the beginning months of having our daughter felt like for us Mm -hmm. as a couple because we had just moved into a new house and we were away from all of our friends and my husband worked at night. And so we were, we were switching shifts and it felt like, like I remember when he would go to work at night, I would be terrified. Oh yeah. First week he left, he went back to work. I was like, what am I going to do with this kid by myself? (laughs) I was scared shitless. I was terrified. Yes. My biggest fear you tell me what was yours, but my biggest fear when, when my husband went back to work was that she was going to be crying uncontrollably and there was nothing that I would be able to do to console her. Oh no, that was mine too. That was mine too. My other one was also that I would, which I don't even know in hindsight why I even would think that because I'm, I'm typically a light sleeper, but one, my other one was that I would be dead asleep and she would be, and I would wake up or miss her screaming or crying for me and I would sleep through it. Yeah, it's like you, again, you hang on to this 
idea and you can't let go. Yeah. You know, that's a part of the anxiety. That's a part of the intrusive thoughts. And it's probably because I'm no doctor. I'm a comedian. Okay. And I'm a survivor of this thing, but it sounded like you want to sleep so badly. <laughs> that You were like, girl, if we sleep too long, girl. <laughs> I did. I wanted, I, I had never, someone told me before, you know, during pregnancy, they were like, enjoy your sleep. Cause it's gone. And for a while it is gone because I, I didn't really um, put into the equation our scheduling. And so just when my husband would go to work, that was when I would be my most tired because I was up so early. Got it. And I had a hard time. I wasn't a big napper. Like, Oh, I sleep when the baby sleeps. Right. That's such a yeah. lie. It's such yeah. a lie. No one's doing that. You're getting shit done when they're asleep. <laughs> you are getting shit done because that is the only time you can do it. Um, and so by the time he would go to work, I would try to take like a little nap, like between five and 6 PM before she would wake up. Mm. And, but it was not enough. It would just make me more tired. Yep. And so I, I distinctly still remember 11 PM midnight rolling around and she would be wide awake. And I would just be sitting in bed holding her mm. and like trying to get her to sleep and nursing. And then I'd nod off every, and then I'd like wake my, like tilt my head back, like, no, stay awake, stay awake. Uh, and I'm like, stay awake, stay awake. Right. Oh, no. You know, and one of my friends, after I told her this, after she had her baby, she was like, why didn't you call anybody? And I was like, I nobody lived near me. Who was I going to call that was going to come over my house at, you know, friends, and it's like, you don't want to inconvenience your friends or your family, but right. also you also don't want to be let down because uh, when you ask, you really need it. You really, you really need it. it. And yeah. at that moment, it felt so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It was one of those things where it's like, I really need somebody to do this. But if I ask and you can't come through, True. that is going to be even more devastating at this point because I am desperate for sleep. <laughs> And how old was your baby around this time? That was like in the beginning, that was like the first four months. Oh, first, okay. yeah, it was early. Yeah. Like that yeah. first, I feel like those first four or five months, you were just like a zombie. Yeah, as a, as like, a just like the walking dead, literally yeah. not able to function. I, that's why I'm, you know, it blows my mind that women can return to work and or school like two weeks after having a baby. That is torture. Yeah. And emotionally and psychologically, it's also a shift because you've established this connection with your child and then you are, all right, now I got to go and separate that time. And now it's family time and mom time. And then over here is work time. And it's, I, I think people a lot of times really underestimate how big that struggle is and also how, how women, no matter how successful they are, really struggle with that, trying to find that balance. Yeah. And you need time for the shift, like yeah. the physical shift, the emotional shift, and just the, the, the understanding of like grappling with what my life is now. Absolutely. That is, that for me was the hardest because I didn't feel all that joy and, you know, bliss and all of that. I felt the shredded vagina. That's what I felt. And uh, you know, and I kept thinking to myself, like, like, did I, why did I do this to myself? Yeah. You too? No, absolutely. And I, I'm gonna, cause I'm interested to know your perspective on this because we're both actresses. 
when it was time for me to have a child, I was like, at that point, I was like, okay, this is time. I'm not getting any younger. I got to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think at this point, my career is at a point where it can survive. It can, I can pick it up where it left off. You know, you're very positive. (laughs) And then you have this child and it's all wonderful. But in the back of my mind, I felt even more pressure to get out there and push harder because the opportunities are so much less as a black actress and you feel like I don't have time to like enjoy this moment. That's right. I gotta get back out there and make my money. Yes. You know, it's like I gotta, I gotta do it. Like I gotta because we know there's fewer opportunities, and also the fact that family in this industry isn't really valued at all. At all. And on top of that, as a black actress understanding that you're also not as valued as other people then the way you look at your career when you are trying to establish a personal life, you are, it's, it feels like you are juggling at all times. Wherever you go, you are juggling five balls oh. because you just got to keep it moving. You can't stop. You got to keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. Um, so I'm just wondering if that's also what's coming into your conscious. Absolutely. The- it's like we are high functioning women. Yeah. We value our work as artists. We value our career. We value working. We like to work. Yeah. And what I've, what becoming like this accidental activist about postpartum and women's equity, I've learned that it isn't just artists, girl. We feel a different kind of pressure because like you said, our industry doesn't value family. Our industry doesn't value black women as much. Our, our industry doesn't value black women with families. <laughs> so like we have a whole different set of things, but like fundamentally, I think high functioning women who want a career or who, who like working always feel that, that pull, you know, always feel that, oh gosh, you know, I really want my career. I really want to work. You know, think about like, you know, makeup artists or, you know, hairstylists or, you know, um, women who run corporations, like they have likely have worked hard to get, you know, 10 years in or seven years in to climb the corporate ladder. And then now they're one of few women at this high level and now they have to go pump in between meetings and run to go get their child from childcare, from daycare. And, you know, men are giving them the side eye or they're less valued. You know, it's the same thing. Our career, we're like, we get it. It's really nuanced, but I think at a fundamental level, I think women just struggle with in general, like how do we, how are we the best mom possible? How are we the best wife? How are we the best at our career? But then also, how are we the best for ourselves? Right. Damn. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to think about and to have that um, that that sort of activity mentally running constantly in your brain because that's how it is. You, it's it's something that you really don't that mental load of thinking of that doesn't really go away at any yeah. point. It doesn't. Um, I, I thought that there would be somewhat of a shift for me to say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm doing my family thing now. 
but I can also work. So I, my high functioning self kind of went into overdrive, you know, of not only proving to myself, but also to my peers, you know, I'm friends with, you know, very established, not famous necessarily, but established comedians, established actors. And I, you know, have worked with them together in our, you know, basements, writing and this and that. And then, you know, and, but then you, you want to prove to people and yourself that you're still capable after becoming a mother. And, you know, I remember I was, I, I remember I was a trophy model for the American Music Awards for years, for, for like six years in a row, I did it. Oh my God. Now I have to go on YouTube and, and find a clip of you. <laughs> there was no reason why I should have been out there on stage carrying trophies with Diana Ross, Taylor Swift, Prince, The Weeknd, like literally not breathing, like, okay, no, okay, postpartum belly, come on, come on, come on, help us, help us just out. Girl, I was, like, I was literally in the wings, like, you were activating your abs so that you could, you know, like suck in even bigger. Girl, I think at the end of the night, because I pumped right before the first award, and towards the end of the night, I remember Justin Bieber won, and he came up and he gave me a hug. Girl, <gasps> there was milk just gushing down my dress. Oh, my God. The inside. Thank God it was black sequence, so you couldn't tell. But I'm like, this is, why am I here? Why am I here? Crazy. So I agree. I think that we all... We go back into what we know. We want to be successful. We want a career. We want children. We want a family. It's like once you have your baby, I don't know. I wish it were different. I wish that moms would feel less pressure. But moms like us, and I'm, I know I've met so many of them who are like us, who are high functioning and who quote want it all, whatever wanting it all means. We all feel this immense pressure once we have our children, whether we're stitched up, dragging the placenta or leaking down our dresses. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> so going back to the question, cause I wanna, I wanna get to this point where yeah. you felt like, uh-oh, I don't quite feel like myself. And I know you said up until two, there was a general cloud <laughs> with your daughter, which I get that very like the first birthday. I was like, great. Okay. But I still don't feel like I still only feel like 35% there. Yes. So I agree with you. Like two, I feel like is the perfect age where you're like, Oh, okay. I'm, Ooh. I'm getting back to myself. Yes. And it's interesting. Yes. I actually read in an article that it's that for most women, it's age when the child is three years old, where you're like, okay, now I'm back. Now I'm back. Right. Um, and I was like, now that my daughter is three and a half, I'm like, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yes. You can juggle, you can yep. communicate, you can, it, like when, if you leave the baby with dad, he's okay. You can right. check out. Right. Right. You know, you're not worried. <laughs> I didn't Did he do that thing in the order I told him to do it in? <laughs> Because if he doesn't, <laughs> they will live, honey. They yes. will live. But yeah, I mean, it it 
increment it got easier like incrementally easier after two at three i definitely felt like i was out of the woods but to backtrack yeah i was in i was overworking my not overworking that's not the right way to say that i was really wanting to get back to work not overworking i was trying to extending yourself yeah i was overextending myself beyond what i was giving myself permission to adjust to right and it, looking back at that period were there particular are there particular moments or instances where you look back at and you're like oh yeah that i was the sign was there that things were not as they should be yeah um i think the biggest red flag to myself even though i kept pushing was when i tried to go back to doing stand-up regularly because most people don't know the grind of a comedian you know before covid like i was on stage at least three stages a night per night that's working out material that's performing that's writing with my friends i'd be up on stage actively working and and also that time is traditionally late night oh it's a late it's a night job yeah. It is, but so is being a mother. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Exactly. Preach. Right. <laughs> so is being a new mama. A new mama is a night job, honey. So I was trying to pull two night jobs at once. So I would go do my shows, do open mics, come home, you know, latch my baby, catch two winks of sleep, wake up, do the whole thing every two hours. No, ma'am. And... At one point, I booked this CW web series. I shot 12 episodes of that postpartum. Wow. So I, I'm like, why am I trying to do all of this? Why? What really came, what really came crashing down was at a show I did. The show was um, at the Comedy Store on Sunset. It was a pretty funny women's show that I was booked on. And I just remember bringing my pump with me to the club and looking around feverishly for a damn outlet. <laughs> oh, I've had that. I've had that. Oh, I was like, wait a minute. All these comics on their phones. You got to have an out, a functioning outlet back here. Oh, no. Because the mama with the leaky boobs can't get an outlet. Right. So, yeah. So no working outlets backstage at the comedy store. And so I was stressing about that. I was stressing about all of this new material that I had worked on and wrote. And, you know, this is, you know, a lot of, most of it was like my first time doing it. And I was talking about motherhood. Girl, I got out there on that stage. The first minute was great. Usually if I catch him at that first joke, I've, I've hit my stride for the rest of my set. First joke was fine. First minute was fine. Then I started getting into the postpartum stuff not postpartum depression necessarily yet, but talking about motherhood and I lost them. It was literally silence. And two of my girlfriends came to the show that night and they came and they came up to me after the show and were like, girl, you weren't serious, right? Do you remember what you said and what brought on the silence? I think I said, oh yes, I did this joke about jumping out of the window. I, 
Oh, oh, you were in it. Oh, I was in it. You were feeling it. This is like seven months postpartum, okay? I think the joke was like, um, all these moms are like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. It's so wonderful. And here I am thinking about jumping out of the window. No, considering jumping out. No. All these moms are like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. It's so blissful. And here I am thinking to myself, I wonder how far I can make it if I jump out this window with two broken legs. Something like that. I know I just butchered the joke, but essentially, that's so funny to me. Jumping out the window and running with two broken legs, right? Leaving it all behind, and the silence was deafening. The silence, people were worried about me, and that's when I knew. I was like, oh, either this is too soon, or bitch, you still in it, right? You have yet to move on. So I did the show. My friends came. They were like you all right? You ain't mean that, right? And I was like, mean what? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I went home. And then like three weeks later, I got, that was, it wasn't even three weeks. It was a week before. A week later, I got a network test for a show, for a new show on MTV. Again, more pressure. And <clears throat> I did the test. And people who don't know what a network test does a network test is when it's essentially down between you and two other people for a project. And I did the network test. I went to therapy after the test and my therapy. Good strategy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put it all on the table for this network test. And then I'm going to go to therapy because I'm going to need to talk about it, whether if this goes good or goes bad. That's right. Girl, I went to therapy. My therapist looked at me. It was like, I'm going rep- I'm, I'm to recommend you check yourself into a psychiatric hospital. What? I didn't expect that to be the, the, the meeting, the, <laughs> the session. I'm telling you, two minutes in, two questions in, that was her recommendation. What did she ask you? Do you remember? She said, how are you doing today? I was like, I'm okay, I'm fine. How are you feeling? I said, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm sorry. And then I get in more into it, into the documentary. I can't give it all away, but I, I was having intrusive thoughts and I didn't know that intrusive thoughts are a thing. And I explained what I was feeling to her. And I'm telling you within two minutes, she, that was her recommendation. When she recommended that to you, did you, did you succumb? Like, did, were you like, oh yeah, that's right, I should. Or were you a little resistant to that idea? I wanted to kiss her feet and bless her lo- her soul. <laughs> when she said that, I immediately was, immediately was like, there's somewhere I can go? Like, I don't have to just sit here? I can go somewhere, feel better, not be incarcerated, and come home and, and live my life with my family? Hell yeah! Girl, I did not resist one bit. So what happened after the session? The session never ended. So you just went straight there from the session? Yes. And we talk about this in the documentary, like who I called, who she called, what she did, not only in the documentary, but also in my comedy special about what that the rest of that visit was like. It was brief. It was very brief. But I went I went to the psych ward and um, it was great. It was great. It was a little scary, a little bit. It wasn't scary enough for me to say Nah, I didn't even second guess it. It was scary in that I felt like I should be scared, but I wasn't. 
Right. I felt like, oh, I can finally get some sleep. I can sleep in here. Girl, that feeling that you described of like, man, what I would just do for some sleep. I would, I went to a psych ward to get some sleep. Girl, I, I do not, knowing how I felt during that time, I, I do not blame you. And I feel like I could have been in that same place for sure, for sure. I remember calling my mom one time and she was really worried about me. Mm -hmm. I, uh, she, well, no, I think she called me and she was like, how are you doing? And I was like, I just like broke down. I was just like, I'm so tired. I just need to, I just like 10, I just need to sleep. I had been running around auditioning and what you said about running two jobs at the same time. Like you are a mom at night that mom. Yes. During that time when they are very little, when they are babies, the prime time to be a mom is at night as a comedian. The prime time is always at night because that's when comedy shows are. So those two are such a direct conflict. So I, in my, I'm trying to put myself for a moment in your shoes to think at that moment when uh, your therapist, your, your uh, therapist is like, you know what? I think you need to go to a psych ward. I feel like I could see, I could understand relief, you know, being the hell yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Can I sleep there? Yes. That was exactly how I was feeling. I was like, why? Again, I felt lied to. I felt duped. I'm like, all this time there was somewhere for me to go and nobody offered it up. That ain't right. You know, like, I was just like, why? So that's why I always tell people like the psych ward was not scary. It was not scary. And you know, it was not the perfect place. And this has become a part of my advocacy, um, not only for, for moms and their mental health, but also advocating that hospitals, you know, tailor the care to the, to the patients that are there. Because I was at a facility that was not intended for mothers. I was the only mother there. I was the only black person there. So the level of care was not tailored to my needs at all but I still felt like I belonged and that I felt like this is where I need to be. Right. That was a good start. That was Hell like, yeah. yeah. I was like, there's no, and girl, I, I talk about it too in the, in the documentary. I'll share it with you. My first day at the psych, my first morning at the psych ward having breakfast, right? Um, they do your temperature check, just like COVID. <laughs> they give you your meds. <laughs> everybody lines up, not six feet apart, but they line, everybody lines up. They check your temperature, they check your blood pressure, and then they give you your pills. You take your pills, and then you have to uh, show them that you didn't, you're not holding them. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm trying to get better. I ain't trying to hold nothing, but whatever. Do what you got to do. Then I go into the cafeteria. I make my plate of food, and I sit down at a round table, and each round table probably sat six people. When I tell you every single person in the hospital, not in the hospital, on my floor, on the, on, the, on the psych floor, sat at their own table by themselves, was eating alone, staring off into space. Oh, wow. And I remember vividly, this was my first morning there. I'm looking around at them and I looked, at, and I looked inward and I was like, I need to be here. These are my people. 
No, everybody's socially distanced. <laughs> you know, everybody, nobody's breathing in the same air. You know, not sharing anything, not talking, no droplets. Everybody is literally keeping to themselves. <laughs> well, did you feel that in that moment? Because you just needed a break. Like you yes. needed to not be accountable for anything to anybody to even watch TV to you, it was, it was, it was carte blanche to just sit there and do nothing. Yes. However, the TV is kind of set up like jail where there's one big TV and one big room and everybody has to agree. Oh, gotcha. The TV is so, um, and, and this, this lady named, uh, Big Shirley, who was trying to get, get out of going to prison. She had dibs on the TV, so didn't nobody mess with her. Because, I, you know, we ain't nobody trying to fight. It's not worth it. You are going to be there long. Okay? That's you, right. I was you like, got to pick your battles. That's right. So um, <laughs> I don't even know her. Her name Paula or something. I forgot her name. But anyway, yeah, I literally looked around and I was like, I, I felt like someone had held a mirror up to me and shown me what I looked like. And there was no difference between me and all of the people who were there. And I was like, this is the right place. This is where I need to be. And it was amazing. You know, um, it was great. I was able to check out, check into myself. I, I wrote a lot. So a lot of my writing and stuff, the jokes, the joke part are going to be in the documentary. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I always, a part a huge part of my advocacy is I'm like, I tell moms like, listen, if you need help, ask for the help and be willing to accept the help. And whatever people suggest, including a professional who tells you that you might need to go on a little vacation. Oh, absolutely. You know? So, yeah, it was great. It was, it was, it was great. You, you discussed when you were there, you mm -hmm. had started medication. I'm assuming that you weren't on medication before. You arrived there. I was. I was on a placebo, a very low dosage of Zoloft. Okay. At three months postpartum, my my therapist, who saved my life, obviously, Dr. Olson, told me to call my OBGYN and prescribe something to me. She said, because I, I feel like there might be a shift coming. It usually happens around now. So just get on something, a small dosage. But my OBGYN never followed up with me. Really? She never called me, never said, no, never emailed or anything. She didn't even call my therapist to see how I was responding to the medication. Wow. Yeah, I feel like in that, those, those times after um, that, that, that sweet spot of postpartum time, that first month to like six months, I feel like <laughs> there's a big opportunity that a lot of OBGYNs miss about really connecting to their patients and really kind of honing in and being sensitive about their psychiatric and mental needs. Because more often we're going to see them, like they're going to be, you know, after you have a baby, the first person you're going to see if, if your OB or your gynecologist are not combined, you're gonna see one or the other. You're gonna see your OB, you know, and then a couple months after that, you're probably gonna see your gynecologist if they're separate. So I feel like those two doctors are very important 
in really being able to have that connection and that relationship with them to discuss what's going on and also for them to really understand uh to really be able to diagnose or look out in those uh in those appointments for what that you know for for those type of signs of like oh you know do you need this how are you feeling I feel like the how I was feeling question was asked Mm -hmm. to me but it's interesting I feel like the more extremes of it were asked like like you said are you having invasive thoughts are you you know are you getting any are you getting any sleep and it's like no I'm not having invasive thoughts now of course I'm not getting any sleep my kid is four months old it's like duh yeah I'm not getting any sleep so I feel like some of the questions are really off Mm -hmm. and for me one of the ones I wish they had asked is do you feel your anxiety level increasing do you feel waves of anxiety do you feel overwhelmed by anger because for me, those were the signs that I had. I I probably veered more into postpartum anxiety. Yeah. Um, but I wish that that was asked more because honestly, I didn't even know that there were two separate things. I didn't know that there were two separate identities. Exactly right. Which is why I'm always telling people that they are two different things. They can happen simultaneously to the mother or independently. Postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety are very, very real and they're different sometimes, you know? It's just so crazy how there's just a lack of understanding. Like, why wouldn't your doctor explain what could happen to you? Yeah, why wouldn't they? You know, and at least to have a discussion so that you know what is what could be hap- what could like you said what could occur like right. what could be down the pipeline i feel like i was from you know from my experience i was very unprepared for what came down the pipeline because going into my doctors we never really had a conversation mm-hmm. i had never really went to i maybe went to one therapy session before i had a child so i didn't have like an ongoing relationship with you know a therapist and i just remember feeling um kind of lost as to diagnosing myself and you girl you didn't go to medical school yes and I shouldn't have to exactly no that is not your job but I felt like for a while I did that I had to that I had started to kind of diagnose myself and look to outside people for like are things off like I remember um one morning my husband he woke up and he was just like staring at me and he was like you know kind of like smiling but just kind of like seeing how I was gonna react and I was like hey what what's going on and he was like nothing I'm just trying to see how you're gonna be today oh he was like you sometimes you wake up you know really in a good mood and other days I don't so I'm just I was he was literally like looking into my soul to see which Sadia he was going to get today and for me, that was like the first sign. Mm-hmm. And then the second big one happened about 10 months down the line when I had my, after I had my daughter, when I went to a, a, an event with uh, some girlfriends, we all had kids the same age and we were hanging out at a friend's house and, you know, having that bonding time. And then um, I was like, all right, I'm going to drive home. And I 
didn't realize until I got into the car, it had been probably up until that time since I had been out driving at night because my husband worked at night and I never left home with this kid. And so that was my, it was like a Saturday evening. I was driving home at midnight. I got on the 405 freeway and this wash of fear that I have never felt in my life just came over me. It was like a tidal wave. Mm. And I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die driving to get home. I got all the way in the slow lane. I was literally driving like 45 miles an hour on the 405. And I was, I rolled the windows down to get, so I could feel the air on my face. I was crying. And by the time I got home, I was like, I don't know what happened. Like, I thought I was, I like trying to explain it. I sounded crazy. You don't understand. I thought I was going to die on the freeway, but there was nobody trying to, like the, the cars coming by felt like, you know, yeah, it felt like I was in actually exposed in the freeway. Like somebody was going to hit me. That's how it felt being in my car. And I went, you know, and then by the time you're driving, you feel stuck. And I was like, it was this talking myself to get home. Like if I just keep going the same way, if I just keep driving, I'll be okay. If I keep driving, I'll be okay. And he, my husband was the only person I told that story to until now. Um, hi podcast. Um, but that was the big, that was like the big moment for me. That was like, Ooh, my anxiety level, like this is not normal for you. This is not normal at all, at all. Mm -hmm. So when you left the psych ward, what was your first big takeaway? Well, because you weren't there long, but it felt like it felt, this is your turning point. This feels very impactful. It felt my big takeaway was that it wasn't that bad. You know, like I would do it again. Like when (laughs) the governor said we got a quarantine and shut down for COVID, I was like, damn, can I go back to the psych ward? <laughs> like, I don't wanna be here, shit, you know? It, it didn't feel bad. It didn't feel like, you know, straight jacket, rocking in a corner. It felt like time off to really just take care of myself, not worry about bills, not worry about breastfeeding, not worry about my husband, not worry about, and that was the first time in my life that I had taken a mental sabbatical. And I felt like that, wow, people need to know about this option. <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> like evangelist or something like a Jehovah's Witness. Girl, go to the psych ward. Go to the psych. It ain't that bad. Door to door, door to door. Door to door. So yeah, I, um, that was my big takeaway. But like I go into, I go more into it, into the doc, you know, in, in the documentary explaining like, you know, what actual treatment I was given or not. Um, but all in all, my big takeaway was, wow. Cause it's better than a hospital. It's better than a hotel. Like some people, when they get overwhelmed after they have a new kid, they say, oh, you know what? I'm gonna go check into a hotel for the weekend, check out, da da da. I was beyond that point. That might work for some people, but I needed extended care. I needed people checking on me. I needed to feel like someone was looking out for me, that I could also take a moment if I wanted to. I could go to a different room. I could write. I could, couldn't watch TV because um, there was only one, but that I could really take a moment 
to check in with Angelina. How many times in our lives are we really fully able to do that? Yeah. I, the only time I can think of people doing that is quarantine and jail. Also, listening to what you're saying, you entering the psych ward was self-care. Yeah. It was putting yourself first. And I think um, what really hits home for me listening to that is so often women, we don't do that. We make excuses for it, reasons not to do it, you know, and this is an extreme example, obviously, of that. Um, cause when you were, cause when you just said oh, there, there are other ways to do it, you know, quarantine, jail, et cetera, you know, it, it, it's like, well, there are like, you could go to a yoga retreat or you right. know, have, you know, but if you don't have the resources for that, um, if you don't have that money, yeah. you know, then how else do you, how else does it happen? Like how, what are some other ways we can carve out that type of self-care for us? Because what's so interesting for your story is that, you know, that was probably needed for you for a long time. And so many things hit you at once. The, the stress of your career, the stress of, you know, home life and having a child. And, you know, those two together are such big life um, you know, the, having, having a child and having family and having a career, like those are all big life things, just life things that hit you hard. And when you don't have those little moments building up to it, then I think they hit you a little bit harder. Yeah. And I feel like that happens to a lot of women because we just really ignore the little moments where we probably should have taken more time right. for ourselves, And then it builds up and it becomes that. Because, like you said, being a high-functioning woman and and a woman that wants to do it all and accomplish a lot, rest is not in the equation. Self-care is not in the equation unless it has to do with success. Right, right. (laughs) So it's hard to to um, it's hard to to really devise that time, and it's also really hard to know self-care is for you personally. You know, I never knew what self-care was. I had never really identified self-care because I didn't need to. You know, my whole life, not my whole life, but like my whole married life, let's say, was very flexible and nimble and, you know, was structured, but it wasn't like when I had a baby now, you know? So I just... Going to the psych ward taught me how to care for myself. There wasn't a manual there. There was no one saying, this is self-care. This is how you do it. I'm just like, no, this feels good. And writing feels good. Literally laying on my bed in silence feels good. I didn't know that until going to the psych ward, probably because I didn't have a TV in my damn room and none of the windows open, so I couldn't hear the birds chirping. But (laughs) I learned that it feels amazing to Angelina Spicer to just lay on the bed in silence. You know, um, I always think that the term self-care is overused. Oh, totally. You know, and, but self-care doesn't mean one thing to everyone, everybody. 
Some people view getting their nails done as self-care. I personally want to kick the bitch every time she cuts my cuticles. So that ain't for me. So, you know, um, you know, or getting their hair done. Clearly, I ain't had my hair done since COVID. So self-care, getting my hair done, self-care is not for me. But, you know, walking around a consignment store. I love that. That is my moment for me. And also, I, I would not be opposed to going back to the psych ward. <laughs> real talk real talk real talk it wasn't that and it's covered by insurance well i mean that's right there in itself is a vote for the psych ward i'm like my next in my next self-care covered by insurance yes in my next lifetime i'm gonna open up a uh, a psych ward just for new moms that takes insurance and you can either have your kid or not i personally do not want my child anywhere near me I don't think any mom at that, at that no. psych ward point. I don't think you, I think that we all leave our kids at the front door. You'd be surprised. So many moms are like, oh my gosh, and were you worried about your baby? And who was with your baby? Did they allow your baby to come in? Could she at least visit? I was like, girl, hell no. <laughs> I remember my husband, I would call my husband from the payphone that they had at the psych ward. It felt like jail. I would call him from the, from the phone and I would hear my daughter, eh, eh, or like a coo or something. Girl, I would hang up the phone. Hearing her voice. It triggered you. Was a trigger. I was like, I can't do it. I remember I looked at my purse when I was there. They take your purse. So I had to request to have my purse for a few minutes. And a nurse had to stand over me while I looked in my own purse. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, I looked in my purse and I found like a little bow of hers. And I was like, oh my God, oh. Uh-uh, I wasn't there yet. The bow triggered me and it made me feel like, damn, I'm gonna have to go back. I don't wanna go back, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. But 10 days in there, I, was, I felt healed and I felt, I felt ready. I was scared, but I felt ready to, to take on the challenge. I felt like my mind had wrapped its head around what I was expected of me. Right. And, you know, you, bring, you brought up a good point about self-care meaning something different to everybody. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny, I was having a, a, a conversation last week with a good friend of mine, and she, we were talking about that because she realized she doesn't know what that means for her. And she was like, yeah, people always say self-care, but I, I don't, you know, like you said, she does, she's not a nail person. She's not getting her hair done. So... <laughs> she was like, well, what does self-care means mean to me? And I said to her, I was like, you know what? I feel like the fact that you are even asking the question is self-care. Wow. Because sorry. now you can do that investigation because we really, as moms, don't give ourselves the time to like think about that, you know, and in this particular friend, you know, she's at home with two kids driving her crazy. Um, and she was like, I've never really had time to think about it. And I realized I needed to, I, she needed to think about it. And I think that's a really good point that that's something that could, that's a journey for every mom, every woman, every person to just really investigate for yourself, like what that means. And I'm still trying to figure that out. I feel like, like when my therapist now is like, what do, what do you, what do you do for self-care? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> 
I'm still figuring out. I started gardening. I don't know if that's the thing. But oh, wow. Look at you. I'm trying. I'm trying. Some of my stuff is dying. I'm trying to like spray it back to survival. Right. Um, right. Bring it back to life. <laughs> yes. Bring it back. But yeah, I, I, that's such a good point that it, it can mean so many different things to people and you allow yourself, you should allow yourself the time to discover what that is. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of cliche to say, but in this instance, it's really applicable and it makes a lot of sense. You know, moms are so busy caring and momming for other people that we don't mom ourselves. We know what makes our children happy. We know what what makes our spouse happy, our parents happy, but what makes us happy? What makes us, what, what takes care of yourself? Like, what can you do for you? No, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I, it's, it's been a journey. I've been working on this documentary for like three years now. And I have to tell you, Sadia, um, I have done last year when we did our Kickstarter, we raised $50,000 in 45 days. Um, I did over 200 podcasts in an effort to fund that. (gasps) Oh my God. You did over 200. And let me tell you, you are the first person to say, I will donate money to your documentary in exchange for your appearance on my podcast, because I value your time, I value your story, and I value your project. And I wanna help you carry it through and see it to fruition. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. I mean, I, I, I believe in it, I understand it, and I feel like your documentary is so necessary um, that I want to see it happen because this is a story that needs to be told and embraced and celebrated. Thank you. And I really feel like moms, regardless of their career, regardless of how many children they have, every mother can relate to feeling like you're on on the brink. Mm -hmm. And every dad can relate to seeing his wife or the mother of his child or children seeing her on the brink. Yes. Every best friend has seen that in their friends. Like this is, this is not only a woman issue or a mother issue, or it's not like a period. Like, you know, you get your period, you cycle every few weeks. No, this is like this, the impact of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety goes well beyond the woman. How you treat your children, your relationship with your children is affected by how mom's mom feels, you know? So, um, it's, it's, it's been a journey. Um, so I'm really grateful to you and, uh, the few others, there have been quite a few who have, um, really uplifted our movement and what we're doing and given us, shared their platform while also contributing to the film. (laughs) You know, I always tell people like, I'm a stand up comic. I'm going to have a stage to perform on, to tell my story. I like, I don't need another platform to tell my story, but I really want to engage with people and engage with audiences that see the value in the project. That's really going to take the conversation international, you know? So people listening can follow the film at the push for permission on Instagram. You can follow me at Angelina Spicer at Angelina Spicer at the push for permission. 
Uh, yeah, I decided to name the film The Push for Permission. You know, I saw that hashtag and I was, that was going to be me. I was like, is that the, I feel like that's the name now. Is that the name? Okay. That is the name. That is the name. Uh, my director quit after two years of working with me and um, paying her $20,000. Oh she decided goodness. that the project was no longer for her. And I decided that that was going to be the new name of the film, The Push for Permission, because Permission is the one thing that all moms need. We all need permission to feel what we're feeling. We need to feel permission to ask for help. We need to feel permission to ask for medication, or in my case, to even go to a psych ward. So, and we need, right, and we need our, our, our elected officials to, we need to push them to create legislation to help us. You know, so that's been a huge part of the, of the film also, is working with legislators. And I know I saw on your Twitter that um, you've been advocating for a legislation bill, AB 2316. Yes, that one is for, uh-huh, go ahead. I was just going to say, could you tell us a little bit more about that? But you were about to. <laughs> um, that one is, right now I'm, because I shifted, because I worked with uh, Brian Mainshine. He's an assembly member in Sacramento, but he's his district is in San Diego. He introduced two bills about two years ago, and I worked with him and a few other organizations on helping get that legislation passed. So it was actually three bills that I helped pass usher into law to help support new moms. So like now you have a baby, they have to give you a questionnaire, both while you're pregnant and postpartum. Oh, I love and that. It's not just hand you a sheet of paper. It's actually a doctor, a nurse, a health, a medical professional has to sit down and eyeball you and ask you these questions. So you can't lie. You can't skirt around. So there's a, there's a short survey, a screening, it's not a survey, it's a screening process that they have now and because of that bill. And the second bill was to um, train medical staff on how to actually administer these screenings. Because believe it or not, after years of medical school, residency, training, you don't know how to ask people questions. So... <laughs> Yeah, and it's not even just asking the questions. It's like looking for the clues for the yes. answer. Like exactly right. exactly right. So that was the second bill. And the third bill was for a, uh, a referral system, to have a referral system in place in the event that mom does need care. Oh, so, I love that. Uh, I've been working with hospitals around LA and around the country, helping them um, train medical professionals at hospitals and stuff. But this new legislation is for paid leave because, you know, we're in the middle of COVID, there's a pandemic. And from my perspective, moms, we need this, we need these extra few days of care in the event that mom needs a psychiatric evaluation or in the event that she needs a few extra days because her vagina is not healed or she has some emergency visit or she's caring for someone. Like, for example, when I had to go to the psych ward, my mom flew in from Atlanta with the clothes on her back. She told her job, kiss my grits. My daughter needs me. You know, <laughs> she needed those extra couple of days. Yeah. You know, after, after my mom left here, my cousins rotated. My cousin from Brooklyn came for a week. Cousin from Atlanta came for a week. Then my best friend came from Chicago. My other best friend tag team from, from Virginia. It was a tag team. And it's like, whether you're caring for someone or you need to be the caregiver, you need that extra time. And we play into it. So it's like, if 
why am I not able to take these days and I've paid into it? And clearly this is an emergency. So I'm working with Maine Chine and again on that bill. And I'm working with um, the California Working Family Coalition and a few other organizations to help this these bills get passed. So yeah, we're busy. The push for permission. <laughs> That's incredible. And I love how, you know, having taking this moment that you had of investigating what your own self-care was, how it turned into empowering you into becoming more politically active and advocating for people who may or may not be able to have a voice of their own for this. You know, at the end of the day, having a family, you know, that whole idea of it takes a village. When you said, you were uh, in the psych ward and your mom was came and then your afterwards you had all that family come down. It's like that it takes a village to support someone back to health. Like we like, for example, with COVID right now, when that person comes home, they're going to need so-and-so to come to their house and this person, and they're going to need that, that care and, and some, and a, and a community to uplift them. So yeah it's really important in these situations for, you know, especially for this, for moms to have that type of support. Yeah. We can be better moms for that. And our families will thrive. Our communities will thrive. And so will the rest of the world. Yes. When mom is healthy, the world is healthy. But if mama's down and out, so is everything around her. So Yeah, so I really want to, I mean, that, that's really been a huge part of not only my advocacy work, but also the documentary is showing the legislation, showing the impact of that and the key players who are in support and not in support of providing extra support for moms around the country. So now I'm working with, uh, I'm working on Capitol Hill to try to get those same three bills passed all over the country, you know. Because imagine, imagine, you know, I think about the mom, not the mom yet. I think about the woman who has an unplanned pregnancy, is not married, is moderately educated, but is considering terminating her pregnancy. If that mom gets pressured from anyone, from her family, from the people standing outside of Planned Parenthood, from people at church to keep her baby... What support is there for that mom? After, abs- yes, yes. Who, wh- you know, where, where are the, the Bible thumpers? Where are the evangelicals? Where, where are those people, or even your aunties, your grandmas, where are those people uplifting and holding up mom, helping mom? You know, because when you become a new mom, you're teetering. Yeah. And if this is not what you wanted, you might lose your mind. You might lose yourself. That's how moms end up, you know, harming themselves or harming their children or their families is when they don't see a way out. And I just think it's the most unfair thing to do to pressure a mom or to encourage a mom to go through with a pregnancy and then not support her. That's the cruelest shit imaginable. Ooh, yeah, girl. Agreed. Agreed. I, I feel like there's so much thought given to life, the life of a child, and that is absolutely important. But because 
the mother, I feel like, is the heart of the community, is the soul of the family, is uh, the person that is from birth the closest to the child. I feel very little thought and legislation and action is put into place around supporting the mother so she can be the best she can be on that journey. Yeah, it's like, well, as soon as we drop the baby, they drop us. Yeah. The OBGYN's like, all right, your stitches are healed. I'll see you next year. And then everybody's just, ooh, the baby, the baby, the baby. Ooh, can I see the baby? Ooh, who's the baby look like? How's the mama? Yes, how is she? So, <laughs> yeah, so in this, in, in the film and in the movement, the push for permission, we just really want to give moms space to push, to create their own self-care regimen, their own advocate for themselves and what they need and what they want. You know, so um, Sadia, thank you so much for not only sharing your platform with us, but also contributing and donating to the documentary because message does need to be heard far and wide and moms do need to hear this messaging. And so do legislators. Like they need to know that legislators need to know these are the actionable steps that you can take to improve our communities, to improve outcomes. You know, this is what happened in this situation. This is what helped. These are tangible things that we can do to improve the health of mothers everywhere. And we ain't even get into the black mamas, okay? Girl, I, you know what? I might have to- Economically disadvantaged <laughs> mamas. <laughs> Whoa. We just scratching the surface. Yes, we're scratching the surface. And to end on that, to, to just touch on that a little bit, I will say this, and, the, and this is really the reason, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have this discussion with you is because I feel like as Black women, when we advocate for these type of things, we are re representing such a huge part of unheard communities um and a lot of times that isn't valued and because we are it is all that more important for people who normally don't identify with our stories to get behind us mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. what you were what you were about to say talking about black women and that the fact that we are most of the time, the most marginalized, the, you know, in the most vulnerable uh, spaces, also, you know, financially vulnerable, you know, if you are in comparison, if you are a single white woman, hmm. you are, and, and you have, you know, two or three kids, we are representing you yes. in this fight to get that support that you need. Your fight, you know, as mothers, our fights are the same. And you in this fight, your story happened to you, you're a black woman, your experience is gonna be separate from other people's, but at the same time, your experience represents a larger issue. And that issue is that all mothers deserve a specific type of support emotionally and mentally. And if those people can get behind you, their lives are going to improve as well. I surely hope so, girl. Come on, Dr. King. Party <laughs> over here. Come on. Let freedom ring. Let freedom ring. <laughs> 
So I, I, I am thrilled. I'm so, I'm so happy we're having this conversation. I'm so happy you agreed to be on the, on the podcast. And I am so excited for when this documentary comes out and I just want to be able to help any way I can. And I want to ask you before we go, what is your highest vision, not only for yourself, but for this documentary? Oh my God. My highest vision for myself. I want to be, do you mean professionally? Professionally, yes. Professionally, you know, being tied to the documentary and not being tied. Yeah, professionally, I want to be an actor producer, but someone who create like, like Tyler Perry. And I know that Tyler sometimes get a, gets a bad rap, but Tyler not only has created his own lane, created his own studio, but he is injecting life into the careers of those who have paved the way. Cicely Tyson, Diane Carroll, and he's knocking the door clean off the hinges for newbies like us. That is the career I want. Not career I want, but that is how, that's my vision for my highest self. Um, And for this documentary, I want this documentary to serve as the nugget to which people around the globe hold on to as their piece of inspiration, a feeling like they can make it, a feeling like they can overcome a really hard, deep, self-doubting moment. And I just really want this piece, this film to serve as the film that everybody talks about when they talk about postpartum depression. Right now, there are a few films, I won't name the names, but there are a few films, but they're triggering, they're depressing, they're sad. This film is going to take you on a full ride, full of stand-up comedy, interviews, take you on a full ride, animation, music video parodies. I have a parody called Straight Out of Stitches. <laughs> right. You know, uh, the Pumping Nation, breastfeeding, you know, like the whole gamut. But my biggest hope is that it doesn't scare people. You know, I really want to reach girls and women before they have kids. I really believe that postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety is preventable. It's preventable with education. Number one, like if I know that it could happen, Boo. All right, cool. Then I know what's going on in my mind. I can ask for help. I can ask for pills. I can ask for a weekend off or I can ask for the psych ward, you know? So I really just want this film to be like the film that, that people don't run away from when they want to talk about postpartum depression. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I heard that was kind of cool. Let me check it out. That's my hope. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. No, that's, that is perfect. I love that. And I, I wanted you to say that because I wanted to hear it, but I also wanted to hold it for you. Mm-hmm. So I am holding that space for you. I am holding your highest vision for you. And I'm holding also that there is a director out there because I feel like there is someone. I don't know if you, if you've got some leads already, I don't. But, but I'm just going to throw that out there. So in the <laughs> universe, yes. there, that previous director was let go because she was or he I don't know if it was a year she she, she let herself go she let herself go <laughs> she was not right for this project it right. was not her vision 
Mm-mm. She yeah. wanted to tell my story. And it is your story. It is your vision. And, and there is a director out there who is willing to uphold that. Thank you. We put that out there, girl. No, we're putting it out there. Thank you. Thank you. I tell you, that girl can brighten up any room. She had me hollering and uh, she she had me just laughing my butt off for this episode. I had a realization talking to Angelina also about self-care. Before I had Sonara, I didn't really put self-care into an equation because I had more time. And, you know, back then I didn't think it was essential to success. And now I absolutely do think that self-care is essential to success. So that is something that, like I said, I'm still working out. But thank you, Angelina, for really talking about that and making me realize that we can't just push it to the side. We have to make room for it because if we want to be successful, then we do need that downtime. It's really important. So I think, especially in this time, it's a lesson that I have been pushing myself to uh, learn and really um, put in place to have that downtime, to have that time for me. Um, Yeah, that is Angelina. I mean, if you love her conversation, if you love what she had to say, if you love her energy, which I'm pretty sure you did, go to her social medias. The girl's on TikTok. She just hit over the summer, like a month ago, I think 500,000 followers. Yes, yes, girl. You can hit her up on TikTok. You can hit her up on Instagram, Facebook. I will link to all of those. And most importantly, most importantly, last but not least, please, please, please check out her documentary, GoFundMe. And if your heart is full, if your pockets are a little bit full, fuller, please donate. It is for a very important cause. I think this is something that absolutely needs to be out there and to really give the world just a different perspective on postpartum depression. Um, Also, please go to our Apple podcast page, That One Blank Friend, and subscribe if you haven't already. Click that subscribe button and you know what? Take it one step further and just give us a rating. Hopefully it's five stars. Hopefully you've been liking what you've been hearing. We're on at that one blank friend on Instagram, at that one blank FR1 on Twitter. Give us a shout out. Give us a follow. Look at our stories. Tell us what you think. I want to know. I want to hear from you. You know what? Angelina made me think when we were talking about the crying, that after my daughter got older and she could sleep a little bit better, I was still hearing phantom cries for months. I would go to sleep and think I would hear her crying. Are there any other mothers out there that were dealing with that? I feel like there are probably a lot. So yeah, yeah, that's what I was dealing with. That I was still dealing with them phantom cries even after I was in a good place. I think I've just at this point now that she's three and a half kind of gotten past that thinking that oh I'm gonna hear her cry so yeah you know motherhood is real and it's life-changing and it's all of that so speaking of motherhood on another note my solo show that I promoted last week for October 4th guess what it got postponed it's now November 7th so I've attached a new link in the show notes. I hope you can make it. My portion, that 10 minutes that I'm doing, which is an intro to my longer solo show I'll be doing uh, next year, hopefully, well, it's called Mama. 
Um, so yeah, I'm gonna address motherhood. That's what I'm gonna be talking about. Look at the show notes, click on the link, buy a ticket. You can buy it and watch it anywhere. You can watch it from your living room, from your couch, from the bathroom, if you choose, from your bedroom, wherever. It's streaming live November 7th. It's part of the Black Voices Festival at the White Fire Theater. So um, yes, just a reminder, buy a ticket. I'll be reminding you up until then, now that the date has been moved. Until then, you guys, I'm going to express some gratitude for my vagina not being shredded. Uh, (laughs) And um, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Uh, Stay positive because we need it right now so, so, so much. Till next time. Thank you.